for us, um, given our smaller footprint, where we're postured, how we're planning to do our build, which is steady, just trying to really be intentional about it and look back in 20 years and have built several hundred miles of lines that have served several thousand more customers that we didn't think was maybe possible in, in 2020. Welcome to episode 394 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Auburn Essential Services in Indiana has been offering fiber for connectivity for around 15 years now. On today's podcast, General Manager Chris Schweitzer talks with Christopher about the network and the way the utility's steady approach has paid off over the years. The guys discuss Auburn Essential Services' refresh in order to replace the original infrastructure and the new innovations they've integrated as part of their new offerings. They also talk about the utility's transparent pricing and efforts to keep accounts straightforward a subscriber preference. We also learn about the utility's exciting new partnership with nearby Garrett, Indiana, where Auburn Essential Services is working with the town's electric utility to provide broadband. Now here's Christopher talking with Chris Schweitzer from Indiana's Auburn Essential Services. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Well, office is in Minneapolis, but St. Paul is where I live and it's where I love to be. So (laughs) local rivalry across the river. But today, more importantly, I'm speaking with Chris Schweitzer, the General Manager of Auburn Essential Services in Indiana. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. We talked a, a long time ago when um, you described what Auburn had done. It's still one of my my favorite models, a, a rather low-risk, very impressive incremental effort to getting to citywide and now, as we'll talk today, beyond the city, uh, fiber optic internet access through the city utility. Um, but let me start off by just asking you to remind people, uh, what's Auburn like? Yeah, Auburn's a, a really cool town. Uh, been around since 1900. Uh, classic car capital of the world is kind of what we're known for with our classic car museums and where they used to build those Duesenbergs and Cords and Auburns. And we've got a municipal electric utility and AES was kind of grown out of that about 15 years ago. We were celebrating our 15th year this year and it's got a lot of great industry and business and um, a lot of great doers. And uh, it's a it's a community that's forward thinking and investing in downtown. And it's a great place to to live and to raise a family. And so broadband utility now um, has been growing and uh, we've kind of uh, been to every passing that we can here in town. And we've been partnering with surrounding communities and we're looking to grow beyond uh, our borders as well. So let's let's start off by going back 15 years quickly, um, in part because uh, I was just recently reading about the retirement of Mayor Yoder, who retired at the end of 2019, served the city for 20 years. And uh, he looked back and he considered that the municipal broadband network that, that you've run for so long, uh, that that was one of the key achievements of that term of service. And so I just... I'm curious, um, have you have you felt that it's that important to the community as you're working on it? Wow, yeah. I mean, Mayor Yoder was a great supporter, um, an advocate for Auburn Essential Services. He was here um, when and got helped get that thing off the ground. And I do, I, I echo that. I think um, AES has become a very important asset to business and to uh, homeowners, improving competitiveness and improving reliability and relying on business communication services, internet voice, um, point-to-point services here for healthcare and finance and all kinds of the the different businesses we have here in town and uh, the quality of life at home, right? In terms of lots of folks working from home and 
and home-based businesses. And I think our brand is it's, it's a really cool to hear from customers that just talk about hands down AES as the service provider to pick. People have choice in the community and um, thankfully feels like we're number one. So it, it, it's a good thing to serve a great customer base um, and the growth just continues to uh, to be there um, even though we've, we've, we've finished our build several years ago. So yeah, I think it's an important asset for sure. I think it's worth noting that when Cooper Tire at the time, major employer, came to Mayor Yoder and, and said, we need the city to do something about broadband, he said, I'd really like the private sector to solve it and strongly encouraged uh, the existing providers to step up. Uh, they didn't. And when the city looked to then reluctantly fill that gap, the state legislature considered doing what several states had done, which was to say the city wouldn't be able to do that. But um, Mayor Yoder, a Republican, according to an article that I recently read, worked with um, a group of Democrats in the state for the bipartisan coalition to uh, make sure that cities would be able to make these kinds of investments if they so chose. Um, and so I just feel like in this time of where it feels like we're so polarized, it's worth looking back on that. And and I suspect that today at the local level, you probably work with Democrats and Republicans um, and would be able to form a coalition like that um, because at the local level, we still do that sort of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. There's wide support for broadband in the community. And, um, you know, in this line of business as a service provider, we get to see the entire cross-section of the community, businesses, industry, um, investors, homeowners, uh, renters, healthcare, all the different disciplines, and broadband is a common thread through all of that, and and we're thankful to be part of that, and, and really we get to serve and solve problems with those folks looking to stay here, and they need to have all kinds of ingredients to be able to stay and grow and thrive here in Auburn, and broadband is one of them, and, and we're thankful to be able to help with that. So I have not spoken about uh, with someone like you about the older parts of the network. Uh, parts of your network are younger, but um, we're in the, as we were talking a little bit before the interview started, uh, parts of it are 15 years old and you're refreshing it. And so I think people would be interested to get a sense of, of what that means. It's an exciting thing and it's a, it's a challenging thing. You know, when you've got thousands of customers out there on a network that's um, well understood and known to be reliable, we've been pouring investment. Um, we started off with our core network. We've got a modern service provider architecture, uh, scalable now. Um, and, uh, you know, we bring the heart of the Internet from Chicago out west and Columbus out east right to little old Auburn. So we we're milliseconds away from, from, from global networks, which is really great. And so that part we've done uh, just a year or two ago. So we're poised for growth there. And then we started here recently on the migration of all several thousand of our customers from an old, older chipset fiber to the home platform that was all gig capable. And it's been providing gigabit services throughout the community for 15 years, but it's aged and it's um, not well supported anymore. So we're moving to a Calyx um, AXOS based platform. And so we've been, we're about a third of the way through. We've probably got another um, six to eight months there. And um, that's empowering us to do a lot of cool things in the home and in the business as well. But that transaction is a long one. We're managing customer expectations growing while we're trying to change out the old. So it's a, it's a workload that's an interesting thing. Um, we've got great staff, great attitudes. They see the vision for what the end game is. And uh, they're trying to maintain service excellence while we update and modernize the network. What are some of the new services you can provide on the, the new platform? Really empowered um, 
by Calix. You know, Calix is an interesting company, and um, what they're doing is helping operators like us focus on the local customer service aspect of what we do. Um, so we can focus on customer service, reliability, performance, and innovating and using the products, but not necessarily having to be an innovator of products. But really, we can be an innovator of deploying those products and how we commoditize them and put them together in a service solution set. So we've always been an access provider, access provider up to the edge. There was a DMARC, a clear DMARC at, at the home and the business. And what Calix is doing um, with managed Wi-Fi and smart home technologies and a lot of service applications in the home and in the business is empowering us to kind of erase that or that, that DMARC is kind of washing away because really it's not just access, it's access and everything access affords the customer. So we feel, our customers feel that, um, you know, having a service provider that they know is local, can't, uh, tenable, that we can, you can reach out and touch one another because we're local. Um, we, we come to know our customers. We can li- we great listeners to our customers, which is probably the most important thing that we do. And then we can provide a, a portfolio um, from small access to multi-service integrator and everything in between based on what we hear customers need. And um, so those technologies are managed Wi-Fi, smart home, security, same in the business. So it, that's really the enabler for the next generation. Well, let's let's step back for a second. And when you mentioned the, the DMARC, I mean, I, it's interesting to me that you're you're enthusiastic about getting rid of the DMARC, but I want to make sure that I have a properly understanding what that is. And so, you know, back prior to this platform, effectively, the, the DMARC was sort of where you were responsible on up to, up to like the side of the home and into the router. But then beyond that, whatever, whatever worked or didn't work, that was on the user as long as you were providing the service to the router that needed to get there. And, and now basically you're saying with this new platform that um, not only are you able to do more, but you are planning on doing more in the space that previously was basically left just to the, the customer or the end user. Yes, sir. And, and you know, it, it, it is a challenging thing. I think we were naturally being called to do it. People would call in and, you know, customers, many customers don't really know what the DMARC is or, or what their responsibility is, even though we, we understand what it is. Um, right. We all have parents or friends that anyone who's listening to this show is probably providing tech service to family members. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, as a, as a local provider, Obviously, we desire to help our customer. Um, if we're helping them be successful, you know, they're, they're desiring to grow with us and stay with us, and we're just trying to do the right thing there. But regardless of whether we have, we're able to offer the service, we're trying to help them. But the cool part about this platform is that now we can, again, listen to the customer, and if they're having challenges, we can afford them a service now. We can offer them a service that we couldn't before. So um, the cool part is, is we're not a one-size-fits-all based on what the customer needs, we can deploy. Um, however, what it also gives our customer service reps, quite frankly, is an ability to clearly, more clearly identify, hey, what is our responsibility? And then if they want our help beyond the DMARC, we now can offer services that really empower us to do a good job there. So it, it, it's actually an enabling thing. It, you were absolutely right, Chris. We, we couldn't go into that space without these new technologies and new kind of ecosystems that let us do it well. But now that we have a a deployable solution. We can listen to the customer and deploy what they need, and then we can support them well in that. So it's actually a welcomed thing, which I honestly, you asked me that a year ago, I, I don't think I would have believed you so. 
Right. The managed Wi-Fi we've talked about in in the past, and that's something that is responsible for a lot of service calls. And so the fact that, that you're a person working in, in your network operations center can resolve a lot of those issues remotely is a, is a big deal that um, I think we've covered pretty well in, in, in other interviews that we've done. But we haven't touched talked much about network security. And, and you mentioned that. And what sort of things are you going to be able to do there? So this is a relatively new offering from uh, Calyx. Um, if you uh, pay attention to their marketing and where their productization is at, um, it's something that's literally coming out this year. So you know they've got a couple uh, layers that they're affording on their on their managed wireless platform. They're going to be offering some deployable components and um, parental controls and quality services, one and then network security. So having the ability to filter and watch for uh, malware and things at the network edge is an important strategic option for customers. And so they can, instead of them taking that burden on and being at risk, they can, for a few bucks, um, be able to ask us to enable some services and then we can help them at the network edge with security. So uh, we don't have that in, in play yet, but we, we follow Calyx pretty, um, and we're excited about that option. So Everything we've been doing is posturing ourselves to be able to adopt and, and deploy the new kind of the wholesale service offerings that they have. It seems like the the marketplace may be noticing these enhanced services or at the very least your commitment to uh, serving the customer because uh, it strikes me you've never been one to engage in the price war. You, you haven't been someone that is... Um, you know, just uh, going to slash your prices to try and gain market share. Um, and, and so you've had uh, what I would call steady growth um, that, as I understand it, is, is actually as rapid now as it has ever been. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, we've never, uh, other than service level agreements with specialized custom solutions for the, for the enterprise customer, we've never had contracts or, like you said, introductory gimmicky pricing or any, if you will, games. You know, I remember our first focus groups with local residents and businesses, and they asked for a couple simple things, and one of them just an everyday fair price and treat me good and have a reliable service. So uh, we've honestly tried to absolutely do that every day. So not having any special prices, it's a very clear and well-understood thing with customers. Um, our marketing is simple. Our customer care teams get to um, understand the product more easily. Um, it's it's easier to talk about because we're not tripping over small print and a bunch of other stuff. And uh, and we're incentivized every day because there isn't a contract. It doesn't happen very often, but if someone doesn't stay for a normal duration and we don't recover our capital outlay um, and they want to come back, and that, that happens, um, that um, we do make them sign a two-year contract then. But um, So we're just protecting the rate payers and the system owners, and uh, it's cool that way. But But yeah, it's a good thing. You have, uh, it looked to me like you have um, half the businesses in town and, and roughly half the residents, it sounds like. Yeah, you're right. So that growth has been, um, it's not been spiky. Um, it's been very constant. And even though we finished building our last local convergence cabinet years ago, um, we had actually our largest growth year uh, last year, actually. So it's been a, a wonderfully steady rate of growth. And uh, we are fortunate to serve um, northbound of 50% in these areas. And, and we've exceeded, if you asked our business consultant, we've exceeded kind of where we thought we'd land um, by, I guess, nearly uh, almost uh, 1,000 subscribers now. So it's, it's a good thing. It's really comforting to know that we build it based on quality and service reliability. And uh, that, that'll go a long way. Uh, talking more about outside of Cindy Limits, 
you are mostly debt-free or entirely debt-free? How is that situation treating you? Yeah. So um, we, we do carry a little bit of debt, but we've got cash reserves that more than more than pays that off. So um, it's just for agility and the ability to make investment because we knew this day was coming, right? Where we just uh, upgraded our core network and we've got, you know, well over a million dollars of distribution technology to deploy. Um, we're also modernizing our TV platform, um, going to more of a, uh, it's still a pay TV model, but it's um, going on a streaming model. So we're, we're kind of over, having to overhaul the core, the distribution, deploy new technologies on that distribution network, but then also um, reinvest and redeploy our, our pay TV program. So that happens by way of, you know, um, like you said, building some cash reserves so we can go ahead and make that reinvestment as needed. We carry some debt, but we we're virtually debt free. We can pay that off, and that's just remarkable. I mean, you're you're 15 years in. Uh, at the same time, you had like one customer 15 years ago, um, and so you've done a remarkable amount of building without accumulating debt. And I I feel like that's a a, a discussion we have to go in much deeper in, in the future. Perhaps uh, if we're uh, together in a um, an event, um, I'll just query you just on that. Um, sure. But I do want to talk about uh, what you're doing in, in Garrett and in other areas. So Garrett's a nearby town in which um, businesses and people have been pestering you to expand and you've been working um, on with the utility there. But tell us the story of what you're doing in Garrett. Garrett's uh, really cool. Um, they're a municipal electric, much like Auburn Electric. Um, we, we know those guys really well. They're, they're line crews and, and their superintendent. Um, they're good, good folks and um, uh, share like values, I think, and serving the customer and taking care of the community. And, and um, uh, about five years ago, like we said, they, um, they, they kind of saw what we're doing and they have, you know, like desires for their constituency and their ratepayers, and providing uh, an, a, an option for reliable and, and cost-effective internet and, and services. And so they made the decision to, to, to first deploy to business districts, which is, again, I guess what we did as well uh, 15 years ago. They've had success there, and um, they're ready to make the next step with residential. They're focusing on the passive optical network, the infrastructure. And then we've got a, a really cool partnership arrangement where we're going to help them light that up. We'll kind of um, own the customer experience, um, which I think really for us communicates that they trust us with that. And I'm, we're privileged to, to have their trust in that and glad to work with them on a daily and weekly basis um, uh, to, to kind of deliver something that they're not currently getting in their community. So it's a really cool story. It, it feel, it's a feel-good story as well, but it, more importantly, it, it, I think it, it has some impact for their community like it has in Auburn. Well, and I think one of the benefits that uh, we see in, in some other places where this is happening is that uh, Garrett then is able to have this high-quality option that, that you're providing without having to take on significant risks, without having to you know, negotiate channel contracts or worry about changes in, in, the, um, in the technologies in the near future. They don't have to build a head end. Um, you know, it, it really makes a lot of sense for a first mover like you to, to work with nearby uh, local governments in order to make this happen rather than having someone reinvent the wheel. I totally agree. And, you know, as, you, as you're talking about that, the things that come to mind is you're right. I mean, we, Auburn is a, is a small community, you know, we're, we're 13,000 people, we're 7,700 meters. So it, we're a small operator. And so it's probably harder for a, a community much smaller than that to, to do broadband 
really successfully. Um, I, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of look at the different scales of models, but you know, when, even when you look at municipals, they're generally a lot bigger than Auburn, right? So, so what's cool about DeKalb County is in Auburn is the communities that are in DeKalb County are, are small towns, but they're, you know, they're forward thinkers and they're great places to live. So having this amenity is, is a, in this kind uh, of key piece of infrastructure is cool. I think what's really neat for them is the partnership in the sense that they're, they are the ones investing in the fiber optics. They're leveraging that fiber investment for um, traditional core business, you know, communication between substations for relay protection and control. Um, they're going to be using it for AMI metering, but at the same time, they're leveraging that infrastructure investment for the benefit of their ratepayers with additional services like internet, et cetera. And in fact, you're exactly right because Auburn Essential Services, we're taking on the risk of building the head end. Um, we're going to build another small hut over there. So we're building, you know, we're we're taking on the risk of scaling it out to them, and so they've got the the the, the longer range return with their passive optical network, and we've got the shorter range risk that we're taking on by adding the the technologies that you know have to be refreshed every five to eight years. Um, they're they're putting investment in the ground like they're used to, which is you know conductor in the air and and pipe in the ground that's got long long asset depreciation timelines. So it's a cool, I think, a cool, afforded opportunity that we're both taking um, advantage of to help our communities. Do you ever have any political challenges uh, within Auburn um, from people who are saying, ah, why are you wasting your time outside city limits? What matters is focusing on Auburn. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting topic. We, we haven't done a, a great deal of um, expansion beyond. Um, uh, but, you know, as I say that, I get, you're right. We've partnered in Garrett. We've built some networks beyond. I think we are looking at it as building Auburn's impact for our community. And it certainly is Auburn, the Auburn constituents, but it's also the Auburn electric rate payers, which go beyond Auburn by rights, by nature, because of our territory. Um, and I think our board of works and council who support and fund and, and um, look at the financial side of this sees that if AES can grow its footprint in ways that serve our local economy, which is beyond Auburn, that's, that's a win situation. So I, I know it. We, I have, I'm not aware of, of any political issue that's came up because of that. The, the folks that we interact with, as you talk to the mayor, as you talk to the council, AES is a, a, a widely accepted utility asset that's that we're thankful is here. I, I'm not aware of anything anyway. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think that makes sense because one of the things that I, I'm sure happens is that for every paying customer you get in Garrett or one of the other areas, uh, they're paying some of the fixed cost of, of uh, service that um, customers in Auburn otherwise would have to pay. That's absolutely right. You know, and, and I think you, you want to scale the network and scale the business in ways that kind of maximize the the utility of it. And so that means the experience, reliability, the finance of it, of course, so we can continue to reinvest and modernize. And we, we do talk about scale. You know, I, uh, we, we've got customers on the edge of the county by way of, uh, we don't do a lot of fixed wireless, but when customers ask, we don't want to, you know, turn them down necessarily if we can provide a good working solution. And so we ask the question, you know, where do we want to grow to? And so that's a, that's a conversation we're having at all kinds of levels. We want to make the right decision for, for our folks. And we do believe that it's within the county. Um, I don't think we have any desire to, to grow outside of our, of our county's footprint. But You're not going to seek grants to work in Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> probably not in Michigan. Probably not that far north. 
yeah, no, I was just trying to be a little pushing it a little bit. But yeah, I, 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 I did want to ask you about grants, though. Um, what sort of grants are you seeking to expand um, to some of these folks that don't have um, a lot of options today? Um, the state of Indiana has got the next level connection grants. And so um, we, uh, they had their first round and then they're going through a second round. And we're, their second round is still what they're calling unserved. So if you look at the definition of that, I believe it's um, folks that do not have an option for broadband, which is in, in their definition of what they're saying is don't have an option for a 10 megabit down, one megabit up. And so when you look at the mapping that they that the states provided, it shows much of our area is underserved, but not unserved. And so I'll tell you, and as we talk about growing outside of the area, we have been approached kind of unsolicitedly by several folks a business here, several residential here, where they have came and said, look, we, we do not have other options. Cellular options aren't acceptable um, for any number of reasons, either service and reliability or cost or whatever, and we don't have any other options. And so they have actually been putting down in aid to construction dollars to help say, hey, we're serious. We want to have skin in this game. Please make us a priority. And so when you've got that kind of grassroots skin in the game effort. Now we've got an anchor tenant that really can help things get started. And so we've got several examples and it's really kind of blossomed up here in the last year. We have done some extensions, Chris, beyond our network to the airport, to a private school, um, to uh, another subdivision. But these recent ones have came at under increasing pressure and some of them are very rural. Um, You know, we've got a, we've got a, seven passings in a mile, for example. And so what happens is we got to do the math and say, okay, here's what it takes to build that. We can't take the risk unless there's this amount of NA construction. And so we, we've been starting to see folks that have been making that investment to be a catalyst. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things that's telling us, I think, that they're, they are dramatically underserved and there's a need there. And so we're going after um, the, the, the grant, and one of the things we're doing is, is really working on a survey to kind of help us gather the right statistically important data to help tell a story that um, while the map, the map says they're, they're un, underserved, really they're unserved. And so we're excited because I'm, I'm hoping that we can, um, even if we gather a little bit of seed money, a little bit of investment uh, incentive to grow the network, it really gets us to a place where we can grow then further. So it's a a step at a time, but we're hopeful that we can do well with the grant. Yes, I wish you luck with that because we're we're seeing similar things around the country and increasingly state legislatures are understanding that there is no authoritative data service um, that shows who has service and who doesn't. And I think if, if in a year from today, the FCC finally solved this problem, uh, that would be faster than I think most people think. I mean, I think the FCC is finally going in the right direction. The question is just how long it's going to be until that data is then made available uh, once they finally start collecting it. We're excited about the the ability. You know, you hear a lot about wireless. I think there's a there's a great portfolio of options that, that make sense in various situations. And for us, um, given our smaller footprint and our where we're postured and how we're planning to do our build, which is steady, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, right? Just trying to really be right. intentional about it and look back in 20 years and have built several hundred miles of lines that have served several thousand more customers that we didn't think was maybe possible in, in 2020. I like that philosophy. Um, I've been saying it for a while, but I say it out of conjecture. You say it out of experience. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. 
Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and giving us the update of where Auburn's at. It's it's just wonderful to hear it and very hopeful for DeKalb County and hopefully um, nearby regions will take some inspiration from it too. Chris, thanks so much for the invitation. Always glad to talk with you and uh, thanks for the opportunity. That was Christopher talking with Chris Schweitzer from Auburn Essential Services in Indiana. Read more stories about AES at muninetworks.org. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 394 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.